Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, listeners. This episode is available in its entirety to our fantastic members that support our work. Members receive access to exclusive content, an ad-free listening experience, access to transcripts of our episode, an invitation to join our members-only Slack community, and more. If you become a founding insider, you'll receive a Deep State Radio face mask, a signed copy of David Rothkoff's book, Trader, and exclusive access to our new weekly audio feature, Deep Thoughts by David Rothkoff. To become a member, visit thedsrnetwork.com and click Membership Levels. For a limited time, use code SUPPORT at checkout and receive 20% off your membership. Thank you for listening and enjoy the preview. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of uh, Deep State Radio. It's the weekly show that we call Ask the Blob. Um, uh, of course, the Blob is the name that the Obama administration once gave the foreign policy community, especially the ones that were annoying them at the time. Uh, and just like the term deep state, we've embraced it because we want to uh, own that. And also a lot of our members are, are actually members of the blob and they're proud of it. Uh, each week we, uh, on this particular episode, do something that we're, we're, we're coming to enjoy a lot, which is open up questions to our members. So um, uh, all you have to do is, if you're in the in the in the webinar room, is go to the Q and A um, uh, icon, click on it, and post your question, and I will refer them to our guests. We are very fortunate today to have two guests: one an old friend, one new, but somebody I admire. The old friend is Natasha Bertrand. She is the White House correspondent at Politico. You may have seen her on. NBC or MSNBC. She used to be a staff writer for The Atlantic. Hi, Natasha. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. Very glad you could join us. Um, also joining us today is Jay Rosen, who's a journalism professor at NYU. Um, and uh, he is a well-known commentator on how journalists uh, work and how they should work. And I have been a fan of reading his uh, via um uh, the various platforms on which you find them. Um, uh, uh, Jay's written a book called What Are Journalists For? Um, welcome, Jay. Thank you, David. Good to be here. Are you in New York City? I am. Yep. New York City. Uh, I'm in the NYU area, so I'm, uh, I, you know, I feel a certain uh, kind of uh, closeness to you and the work that you're doing. Um, the main thing that we're going to focus about here. Um, is the the way the media has been changed by the Trump era and perhaps uh, the way it is being changed uh, yet again in the, in the Biden era. Um, and and you know we'll you know, I'll ask you a couple of questions 
let's keep the answers fairly short. We already have a bunch of questions from the audience piling in. So uh, I want to make sure that we can get to all of them. But with, with that framing question, do you think, um, and, and, and let me start with you, Natasha, do you think the Trump era has fundamentally changed the, the nature of media coverage of a president, you know, in, in, your, in your estimation? The White House press corps, just in that, you know, when Trump came in, journalists weren't used to having someone in that position lie incessantly, like constantly, just, you know, go up and just ramble and, you know, just tell falsehoods left and right. And I think that the media writ large also became better at calling out those lies in print or on TV or whatever it may have been. I think that they became more discerning um, when it came to saying, look, this is just outright false rather than kind of saying, you know, dancing around it, like perhaps it would have been polite to um, before, before the Trump era. So in that sense, I think that, you know, journalists became a little bit more comfortable um, calling a lie a lie. Um, With regard to Biden now, it's, it's difficult because we're returning to an era kind of like the Obama era, where there's kind of this, you know, keeping the press, um, you know, at arm's length, obviously not as much of an adversarial relationship between Trump and the press, um, between Biden and the press as there was with Trump. But it's also tough for journalists because after four years of constant leaks and drama and, you know, just no, no sleep and just getting, you know, these emergency calls at 4am or whatever it may have been for whatever, you know, Trump did that day. I think a lot of journalists are kind of craving that again. And it's like coming down from a sugar high after the, the four years of Trump that was nonstop. Um, and, you know, that obviously, I think that it's a little bit too early to see how that's going to play out throughout this administration. But I think that's a trap. I think that journalists need to kind of avoid falling into because, you know, this is a very different administration. It's it's challenging in its own ways. Um, and so kind of seeking out that, you know, that sugar high again of, of finding a, a, you know, chaos or drama in every corner is going to be tempting, especially with all of the coverage we saw of, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, who was kind of like the Trump after Trump and the media kind of clung on to her as something that they could um, you know, hype and, and talk about and kind of raise her profile even more. And so I think that's something that, you know, we're going to have to reckon with moving forward. What do you think, Jay? Um, I would point to four key things that went on in this uh, period. Um, the first and the most recent one is an extraordinary thing happened in the November of 2020 after the election. And as it became clear that Trump was going to try and deny the results and overturn the results, uh, I think at that moment, people in journalism realized that they had to completely oppose this force. Um, and that realization that um, we could lose this thing, meaning American democracy, if this plot succeeds, was, I think, a a shock, but also a kind of confirmation of the building in that of trends that Natasha talked about. It was kind of like the, the apotheosis of this 
willingness to call a lie a lie. Uh, and in that period, news media discovered that it has to not just serve a democracy with information, but actually um, fight for it. Uh, and that's something that I have been trying to ask journalists to do for a long time, but it took these extreme events for it to actually happen. And the fact that it happened means it could happen again. And that's a very important uh, development that, uh, that at the very end of this uh, regime, if you will, uh, journalists discovered that they have to themselves kind of fight for democracy. So that's for first point. A, sec a second point is, and this is the general view I have towards Trump and the press. Um, American journalism is built on certain assumptions about how candidates, office holders, presidents will behave. Trump violated all of those assumptions or norms as we learn to call them. Uh, and that therefore breaks the practices that rode on top of those uh, assumptions. Uh, and uh, the press corps simply isn't very good at um, recognizing broken practices and changing them on the fly you know, while the story is underway. And I think that accounts for a lot of the problems and um, ups and downs and hesitations uh, that the press had. And that's why it took years to come to this new willingness to call lies. Uh, lies. Um, but even then, uh, you know, the whole notion of fact-checking as it developed in American journalism was not just to call out falsehoods, but to shame candidates and office holders into um, stopping the lies. And uh, obviously fact-checking hasn't worked that way in the, in the Trump years. A third thing I would point to is the rise of a problem that people in journalism weren't ready for, still have trouble with, which is amplifying disinformation simply by covering the news. And this became more and more of a problem, especially during COVID where just covering an event that would in the past have been by consensus newsworthy, like Trump's COVID press conferences, results in misinformation or disinformation being, being presented to the public, which is in a way the opposite of what journalism is supposed to be. And learning how to deal with this problem of amplifying disinformation um, has been really difficult for uh, the press and, I, and it's a difficult problem, um, but it's, it's one, of the, one of the key problems in, in the five years of Donald Trump and American journalism. Um, and then finally, the hardest part about uh, being a journalist in the Trump era from my point of view is that before Trump, it was believed by presidents and their staffs that if you had bad press and were being criticized in the press, if you had a run of negative stories, if you had scandals uh, and unanswered questions surrounding your White House, that was a bad thing. It was bad for public confidence. It was bad uh, for your agenda. And Trump didn't see it that way. Um, being criticized, being attacked, being the subject of negative news coverage was incorporated into his political style through his method of saying to his base, you see, they attack me because they hate you. And therefore, um, ch checking uh, the power of the presidency with facts uh, 
didn't work and in some ways was incorporated into the strength of the Trump movement. And I think that's a tricky problem that people in journalism never really figured out how to handle. To listen to this episode in its entirety, please visit thedsrnetwork.com and become a member today. Thank you for listening.